Years ago, when I was just beginning my pastoral ministry, um, I was called to go to the, the jail, the local uh, Alachua County Jail. Um, a member of the congregation's adult child had fired off a, a, a weapon into a, a public building and had been arrested. And I was on my way to the jail. This was like 20 years ago. And I'm going, this is not what I signed up for. What do I say to this kid who I'm going to be talking through through plexiglass and through bulletproof glass? Will they even let me in? Because you have to prove your credentials as a pastor. And what am I going to say to this parents? What am I going to say to our congregation? It was, it was a traumatic time. And it was at all not what I signed out with. But, but just so you know, in seminary, they don't teach you how to deal with that kind of a situation. Um, maybe it was because of the seminary I went to. I don't know. But I had no clue what to do. Maybe you're feeling a little bit like this isn't what you signed up for. Anybody can agree with that? This is not what I signed up for. For those of us that started Servants of Christ back in 2006, we took a, a really tough biblical stance for sexuality and it, it cost us friendships, it cost us stability. We wandered in the desert for years until we bought this building two years ago. We made a public and costly stand for the gospel because it was reflected in biblical theology of sexuality. Since then, we've gone through the greatest recession our country has known since the Great Depression in 1929. That was tough, right? Remember those days? We were planning a church, by the way, in the middle of all that. That was fun. Now we're going through the worst pandemic crisis this country has faced since 1918. Yay, aren't we having a good time 102 years later? And lastly now, just as we began to try to find our footing in the midst of this pandemic, we're facing the greatest racial tension our country's known since the 1960s. Maybe you're thinking, this is not what I signed up for. This is not, when I said yes to Jesus wherever I was, this was not what I had in mind. And you kind of want to know how to get off the bus. Well, let me tell you, Matthew chapter 9 and chapter 10 speaks to us this morning probably not in the answer that you hoped for, but he speaks, Jesus speaks to us in ways that I find very comforting. I want to look at with you at this passage this morning for a few moments and, and just to, to remind you of the situation. Jesus is now in the second piece of his teaching series in Matthew, the, the first series of course being the great Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7. Now we come to chapter 9 and Jesus is teaching, he's going through the villages and we're told, <clears throat> pardon me, my voice, he t we're told that he is teaching in the synagogues and the, to the religious people. He is proclaiming the kingdom. He is healing. And then we're told the healing has two parts. One, he's healing diseases. And secondly, he's healing afflictions. And I don't think those are the same thing. Otherwise, the, the two words wouldn't appear there. They're, they're different things, but Jesus is doing these three things. He's teaching, he's proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and he is healing diseases and afflictions. As you watch the images on television of the protesters all over our country, 
now going on for more than two weeks and you see the mass of humanity. Some of my children have been able to go and be a part of some of those protests. If you watch them, there was one here in Gainesville, maybe someone in this room um, was there. Jody and I were out of town. We weren't able to go. But if you look out at those masses of protesters, you see a sea of humanity. And I want to make a connection for you because what we're told in Matthew chapter 9 is that Jesus looks out and he sees that the people are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus looks out at the crowds that are around him on that day as he begins to teach there, he sees a mass of humanity, not unlike the groups that we see forming everywhere, and he sees them and he sees that they're harassed and they're helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And we're told that Jesus has compassion on them. Mike Pats, one of the preachers here in town, pastors, Greenhouse Church, Mike was there and Mike said, he said, by my calculation, I don't know how many people were there, but he said, by my calculation, half of them were Christians. But there was no elevation of the name of Jesus. There was no proclamation of the gospel. They were there as helpless and harassed as sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus begins to speak to his disciples, his people, those who've signed up with him to go with him, to follow in his footsteps. He says to them, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. The harvest is plentiful. The opportunity is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You see, Jesus understood that those who were standing in those crowds did not need to be helpless and harassed. They didn't need to be as those without a shepherd because the good shepherd had come. And so he tells his people to pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. I love the fact that he says, first of all, to pray. I love that servants of Christ is a playing congregation. Amen? We are a praying people. We have prayer intercessions. We have soaking prayer nights. We normally have prayer ministry going on during our communion service. And we can still access that remotely if you need to have prayer. We are a people who know to pray. When we took our spiritual inventories about five, six years ago, a disproportionate number of our folks said that they felt they had the spiritual gift of prayer. You remember that, Janice. We took that, that survey and, and we knew then that God was calling us to be an intercessing prayer church. This week, I had a very difficult meeting with pastors. And if that seems odd to you, you don't know enough pastors. Because when you get pastors together, there tends to be a conflict. Because too many leaders, too many chiefs, not enough Indians, make for a bad meeting. And so I was facilitating a meeting of pastors, about 14. And I called my intercessors, three incredible ladies. And I said, I need you to pray because I'm going into a really difficult meeting with pastors. Zoom meeting, by the way. And, uh, and they began to pray. And the first part of that meeting was no fun. It was like walking through molasses. And I thought, man, are they praying at all or what, you know? And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just came. And we went from molasses to 
to, you know, going down a rapid. I mean, and we began to make decisions and clarity and people began to surrender ego and, and to be quiet and to hear each other. And, and before we knew it, we had a plan of action of how to, as the church of Gainesville, to respond to the day that we're in. Because there's masses, numbers of people that are, feel harassed and helpless. And that's who protests, right? People who feel like they don't have a voice. And they're like sheep without a shepherd. And the shepherds had to come together. And, but it, it began with prayer. And I'm sure other intercessors were praying as well. But I'm so grateful that my prayer intercessors were praying. But notice that Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Because the harvest is plentiful. There's opportunity here. There is opportunity in this moment if we call on the Lord of the harvest. But then what happens in chapter 10, verse 1? Jesus, we're told, calls his 12, his disciples, that first inner core of disciples, and what does he tell them to do? Not pray. He already said pray. Now he says to go. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, and then he says go. The Great Commission. I, I, I realize this is a kind of a different preaching style, but I've been listening to a lot of African-American preachers this week, and so I, I need you to give me a little more response here. But that's good, Cynthia. I appreciate that. That was a good, that was a good work. So we, we, we are told to pray, but then what does he do? Jesus turns around and he says, go. Go. And what does he tell them to do? Well, let's just read it. What does he tell them to do in chapter 10, verse 1? He says, he called the 12 and he says, I've given you authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal the diseases and every affliction. And then verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. I want to commend to you that what Jesus says is, go and do the very things you have seen me doing. Teach, proclaim, heal diseases and afflictions. Take authority, cast out. What did we sign up for? Well, we signed up to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And if we're disciples, then that command to go is not just to the first 12 disciples, but it is to all of us. At the end of Matthew's gospel, we read it last week, Matthew 28 all authority, Jesus says, has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the ends of the earth. Jesus sends us out to go. He says, pray, and then he says to go. I don't have time. You should have been on a couple of weeks ago when I was teaching on uh, a kingdom of priests, but Exodus 19 is all about this, this calling of God's people, not just a few leaders, but all of God's people to be a kingdom of priests, to be a treasured possession, he says. You heard Kim read it. A treasured possession, a kingdom of priests 
and a holy nation, a holy people. What does that mean? Well, really quickly to say, to be a treasure possession in the Hebrew, that means that we are, we are God's discretionary fund. He can spend us any way he wants to. We're not, the, we're not the royal treasury. We're his private wealth. And so we are his discretionary. We're his mad money, my professor told me. He can spend us as he wants. We're to be a holy nation, a, a peculiar people, a people set apart who don't go the flow, the natural sociological patterns. We, we move in a unique and, and, and called manner that crosses over and blurs lines polarized lines in our country and we're called to be a royal priesthood we have the power and the authority to bless the people that we come in contact with you are called to be royal priests royalty meaning you have power and authority and priests mean that you have the ability and the calling to bless the people that you're around in your work in your neighborhood, in your family, in your friend group, your employees, fellow students, whoever it is, we are called to be that priest. This is the work we've been given to do. Now Jesus does give some, some caveats. He, he, he narrows it because that sense, and I realize that sometimes, because when, when I'm preaching, especially now that they put me online, I tend to think of all the people that I'm preaching to and I preach. And so I tend to go big and go global and go, you know, IJM and, and you know, the ends of the earth. And I understand that, that, that we live, we're finite people and we live in a particular place. And so forgive me for that because I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to everybody. But notice that Jesus, when he gives the command to go, he narrows it for these 12 disciples he says don't go to Gentiles and don't go to Samaritans just stick with the children of Israel just stick with the Jewish people does that mean God doesn't care about the Gentiles doesn't care about the Samaritans of course not but God Jesus always narrows he he specifies who we as individual disciples are called to as a congregation, we feel strongly called, not just to the students of Littlewood and the faculty and the, and the teachers, but we also feel called to the families of Littlewood because we think that they represent the very people God would want us to reach out to with the love of Christ. And so we've narrowed to, we know we're called to bless Littlewood. We know we're called to bless the people that live around us, the people of Alachua County, to work with ministries in this county and to work with other churches in these counties, east side and west side and north side and south side churches to, to bring about God's kingdom in this place. This is the narrowing. And so Jesus narrows where we're called. So don't feel overwhelmed when I talk about global things. Just find your niche. Find the thing you were called to do and do that. Jesus also says... He has given them authority. He says it again at the end of Matthew, but he says it here in authority. I've given you authority. I've given you authority over unclean spirits. I've given you authority over um, diseases, and I've given you authority over afflictions. Can I say to you guys this morning that hatred is an unclean spirit? Racism is a disease. Oppression is is an affliction. But we don't have to be afraid of these things. We don't have to live in fear of them or fear of speak up about them because we come in the authority of Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Now be careful because, you know, there's a story in Acts where one guy said, you know, I cast you out in the name of Jesus. And the demon basically said, I know who Jesus is and I know Paul, but I have never heard of you. And he begins to beat the man basically to death. Make sure you're standing on the authority of Jesus Christ and not your own authority when you do those things. But we need not fear afflictions, diseases, unclean spirits when we come in the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, you don't need to worry about provisions. I will provide. Don't worry. That's why you're, they're told not to carry a beggar's bag or an extra tunic or an extra pair of sandals because whatever they need will be provided for them. Don't worry, Jesus says. I won't let you down. Lastly, he says, the struggle won't be forever. It says, go to the village and find the person of peace. And land in the book you're reading, Bruchko, that, that Bruchko looks for the man of peace. And that person becomes strategic in helping him share the gospel with that, that village that he's sharing with in South America. Landon and I were talking earlier. Sorry, sorry about that side conversation. But, but, but there's, a, there's a person of peace in the village and they're to find that person, they're to go there and, and, and they're to, there to say peace be on this house, meaning whoever dwells in this house. And, but Jesus says, but if they won't receive your peace, let your peace return to you. And if they won't hear you, then shake the dust off your feet and go on. And I love that because while Jesus calls us to the hardship and the struggle and he calls us to, to be with him, to pray and to go, he lets us know that it's not forever and ever. There will come a time when we can shake off the dust and we can move on. Whew. You see, there are some people that don't want the peace of Christ and ultimately they will reject it. And that breaks my heart at some level because you know, you know what Christ can offer and you long to see people know the, the, to know the gospel, to know that they don't need to be harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. There is one who is the good shepherd who longs to take them with, not that they don't have to face all the difficulties of life, but they don't have to go alone, harassed and helpless like those without a shepherd. But some will not receive the peace of Christ. Sadly, when we left the Episcopal Church, some left with us who did not leave for the same reasons that we left for the gospel. They were just socially conservative people and they, they, they had problems with alternative lifestyles and so they, they were happy enough to leave with us but they did not leave for the same reason. There are some who associate with the church because it meets with their political agenda. They're conservatives and they want to be a part of conservatives. Strangely enough, in our world, there's also some who, who are part of the church because it meets with their, their more progressive agenda because they, they like what we stand for from Gressley. We're sort of a schizophrenic group here. So we have a, we have a lot of places, a lot of people. But, but can I say this to you guys? Oftentimes I hear, not often, sometimes I hear people who it seems pretty evident to me, and the bishop confirmed this for me. He said, we filter our gospel through our political affiliations. In other words, we 
decide whether or not we believe what we're hearing from Scripture by how it fits within the lens of our political hue or bent. And may I humbly suggest that it should be the opposite, that our politics should always be filtered through the gospel. And if we do that, then we will look on those who oppose us politically, not as enemies, but as those just like us for whom Jesus has come. This is a well-known phrase, but it's so appropriate. Either Jesus is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. C.S. Lewis says, for those who will not say to God, thy will be done, God says to them, thy will be done. You want a world where you're in control? (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) I don't want that world. (laughs) I came to the precipice of that moment in 1995, And I thought about stepping out of the will of God and it scared me to death. And I turned and I repented and I said, Lord, I am am sorry. I do not want to be master and king. I will make a mess. Friends, this is the good news that we have to share. Yes, it's, it's right, right there in, in the scriptures. It was right there in, in Romans uh, chapter 5 that Kim read to you. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, it's about the person of Christ who came to die for our sins, to, to reconcile us to God by his one sacrifice. But can I say in this context, just to contextualize the gospel, in this moment, the good news of the gospel is that For those who feel harassed and helpless and feel as if they have no shepherd, the good news is that Jesus, the good shepherd, he's come. And he wants to shepherd you. And he wants to love you. And he wants to grow you. And he wants to help you understand that he loves you and to give you the power to walk through all the minefields that we have to face with him right by our side. You don't need to be like one harassed and helpless. And maybe even as a follower of Christ, you feel that way today. Let me say that you don't need to. That Christ wants to go with you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to minister to you. And he never gets tired of hearing your confessions and he never gets tired of hearing about your failures and he doesn't not, he never gets tired of giving up. He never wants to give up on you. Because that's not what the good shepherd does. And for those of you who think that this is not what you signed up for, I can relate. But I want to leave you with these words that Paul says because I can't say it better than Paul. Paul, articulating the gospel in Romans 5 says, verse 3, not only that, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance 
And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That is the gospel. That is what we have been given. And so, yes, we will suffer on whatever historical event may come next because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the gift of the Holy Spirit because we know the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We walk on. This is exactly what we signed up for. Amen.